Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Monday night edition, nuts and bolts. Got to get back to it here. Watch some games. And why don't we start with... A game between two teams, we actually talked about a potential matchup between them. I had forgotten that they were playing each other tonight, but we talked about a lot on the 15 and 60, the Miami Heat and the Milwaukee Bucks. And I thought that a lot of the ways we talked about that Miami could give Milwaukee some trouble. This is the second time they played. The first time was like the second game of the season and, and Miami won in a, in a crazy game in Milwaukee. Uh, but Miami gave them trouble in the ways that we thought they might. Yeah, and... It, you could certainly, I mean, reduce part of it down to when one team shoots 7 to 34 from three and the other team shoots 18 to 37 and the possession game is pretty even, that the team who shoots better from three is going to win. But I do think that obscures some of what Cleveland did well. And I think an instructive part of that is Giannis's shot chart. He took eight attempts in the restricted area. He only had two free throw attempts. And then he took another eight jump shots. He took eight shots outside of the paint. And some of that was Giannis settling. I, I've been very critical of the pull-up, especially the pull-up threes that he takes early in the clock. But he wasn't getting to his spots as well as he does against most other teams. Yeah, I think that's right. And the strategy was different than what we've seen a lot of teams do, actually. And you would have thought, oh, well, they put Bam out of bio on him. Bam is uh, really mobile. He's strong. It'd be the perfect individual matchup for him. He could shut him down, you know, Al Horford, Joel Embiid style, the way we've seen when it has worked against Giannis. But that's not what they did. They went with Derek Jones Jr. on initially. Andre Iguodala got time. They did. They're happy to switch Jimmy Butler onto him as well. And, you know, if Bam was in a screen, they would switch Bam onto him. Bam did a nice job when he was there. But unlike a lot of teams, they actually had the help defense available because, number one, Brooke Lopez shoots 29% from three. And number two, Bam is quick enough to rotate back out to shooters if needed or they can x out and bam knows where to go to pick up a, another shooter as well so you know it all looked really good for miami um i thought that this is just one of those games that the bucks are going to have miami shot crazy well from three the bucks uh, were awful seven out of 34 they're five out of 19 and you thought well hey you know getting into the second half they usually pick it up when they have these bad halves from three and then uh, of course they uh, were even worse. They were 2 out of 15 in the second half. But I think the other thing you can point to is uh, ways that Miami's offense can cause some problems for this Milwaukee defense to the extent that that's possible. And something that I focused on, I was reminded of this because I was redoing my awards, and one of the things I talked about was Miami's three-point disparity, you know, that they were shooting really well from three and that they were holding opponents to a low percentage from three. And a part of that is, is was unsustainable, you know, like that they were shooting, it was like a 6% margin, you know, 39% versus 33%. But Miami is a very good three-point shooting team. You know, they have guys like Duncan Robinson and... Kelly Olynyk, I mean, had that stretch, and I believe that was the first quarter where he hit that crazy step back, and he, and they have a lot of good.
good shooters on this team, and almost equally importantly, they don't have that many bad shooters. And I think that's a really important wrinkle for it facing the Bucks because the Bucks will concede shots. Yeah, Duncan Robinson I thought was wonderful as well. Not three out of seven from three in 34 minutes, he was plus six. But to me, what is just really causes problems for the Bucks defense is his ability to come off of screens and potentially be open and to the point where some of these Milwaukee bigs were having to venture out of the paint a little bit more. And that really kind of breaks this defense. Now, it's not like Miami did anything at the paint the whole game. It's not like, oh, they opened it up so much. And I mean, this wasn't wasn't some unbelievable performance, right? This is, they went 18 out of 37 from three, 49%. And they still only had a 107 offensive rating. (laughs) So they got nothing at the rim all game. Yeah, I mean, the double that Milwaukee usually pulls is few attempts and low success rate at the rim. And in this one, Miami, you know, getting there 21 times, that's, that was still a lot less than the Bucks, of course. But they were below 50% in the restricted area. And then they took almost as many shots from floater range, 19, as they did in the restricted area. And they only made five of those. So, I mean, that part of Milwaukee's math problem still worked out reasonably well. And then the sometimes, I mean, many times, Milwaukee gets the advantage from the foul line, which they did not in this one. The attempts in the mix were about even. So Miami was able to to basically overcome it on jump shots, and and they can. I mean, they're they're a team that has that that has that capability. And another thing that I thought was encouraging from Miami's perspective was seeing Goran Dragic have some energetic minutes. You know, I, I'm not sure he's going to necessarily want him to play 29 minutes every time when you know in, in in high leverage situations. But he he did a really nice job for moments of time that he was out there. The bench units generally did well, especially when he was on the floor. And I like part of why I like Dragic and why I kind of fixated on him for a while as being one of the key members of the Heat is that they need places to turn to sometimes offensively. You know, Jimmy Butler will have his games, Kendrick Nunn, and then of course they have all these shooters. But sometimes you need another initiator, another ball handler, and Dragic also had some nice transition plays as well. And I think he can he can be a, a kind of a more of a fallback, which is um, which is striking when you remember that Miami gave up two first round picks to get him years ago. But I think he can be a part of the solution for Miami offensively. Well, and he was three of seven from three. He hit all three of those late in the third as Miami pulls away, including one to close the third quarter buzzer to put him up eleven and. The Bucks never really threatened. Giannis only played four minutes in the fourth, but actually took him out with about six minutes to go and kind of did the Greg Popovich, hey, we're down 10 with five minutes to go. We're not really going to sweat it. They did play last night. Giannis had a massive game uh, scoring 40 points last night. He played 31 minutes and was a team worst negative 16. He didn't have it tonight. Uh, that was pretty clear. Uh Chris Middleton returned after two games off due to neck soreness, and he struggled 12 points, 4 of 16, 2 of 10 from 3. And the Heat, again, they have a lot of long, versatile defenders that they could put on him. But that brings me to another point here where this Bucks team, as great as they are, I don't know whether it's a lack of will, lack of practice doing this, but they let you get away with Duncan Robinson, who we've seen get attacked quite a bit defensively in other games. The Heat defense has really fallen off over the last couple of months, Rob Mahoney had a nice piece about that today. And, or Goran Dragic is another one where you can just, you can get away with playing these guys. Olenek, for example, who had that that crazy shooting. And so, yeah, the Heat's offense is going to look a little bit better when you can get these offense-only guys on the floor to hit some threes against this Milwaukee defense, which they're going to give up. And so Milwaukee, to me, completely failed 
to punish those guys, whether it's Giannis running pick and roll at Robinson. I mean, Chris Middleton getting into the post for some mid-rangers against Robinson or Dragic or trying to get a switch with Olenek. And now the Heat will go zone sometimes with that as well. But, you know, you can attack a single guy in the zone. Um, And so they really, you know, they're on the second night to a back of a back-to-back. They're in Miami. They're not going to be incredibly prepared for this. You know, I'm not saying that they won't do a better job if these teams match up in the playoffs. But I definitely thought that they really failed uh, to attack some of these weak links. And then those enabling those weak links to stay on the floor, you know, those are the two guys who hit... uh, both hit three out of seven from three, Robinson and Dragic. Something that I looked up over the course of the game, um, Greg Anthony was on the call and talked about how basically the, that it's good to go after Milwaukee in transition. And first of all, the, the the main reason that you do that is because they're the best half-court defense in the NBA. And, yeah. You know, that, that's, it's not as much about, oh, they're bad at getting back in transition necessarily as much as it is your greatest competitive advantage. And I, so I looked into it, and something I thought was – not what I expected is that the opponent half court transition frequency against the Bucks is higher than I thought. You know, like it's uh, they're not like top ten or anything like that. I think they're yeah they're they're giving up the twenty they're giving up the fourth highest transition frequency. However, what's interesting is that their points per play, which is not how we think of transition defense, because mostly it's about getting back rather than that, is actually pretty high. And that doesn't really surprise me too much because they have so much length and they have good defenders. So it's something I want to keep keep an eye on. But points uh, per play is pretty high. As in, like, they give up a lot? or No, as in they give up a low amount per play. So they give up high yeah. frequency, but per play it's actually relatively it's well, less efficient. Probably, that's probably because they're giving up threes a lot. You know, the, Brooke be- Lopez is above the arc on a lot of these plays. He's going to sprint back. Robin Lopez is going to sprint back. So you're not going to get anything at the rim. But, you know, so if they're going to give something up in transition, it's going to be a three. And that's, you know, that's not as efficient as a layup, even if it is a better look than you might get later on. Yeah, like that. And, and so for, they have the fifth lowest opponent points per play in transition that's still a 116.6 if you want to think about how much more efficient transition is than everything else yeah and i mean milwaukee Giannis played 31 minutes nobody else was over 30 in this game oh so they're kind of taking it easy something yeah, i want to ask you Ilyasova and marvin williams were both playing minutes off the bench robin lopez had a dnp how did you how did you think they both looked because i mean our idea was that marvin was going to eventually replace airson in the rotation in an ideal world yeah, they. I think you know this is one of those things where a second night of a back to back, you want to rotate in these guys. You know, Ilyasova shouldn't just be on ice in the regular season, and he ended up being plus four. He had and when the Bucks went on a nice run, I think it was a twelve zero run to get back and tie it at forty. They were he was in the game. He didn't really have much to do with that though. He committed some fouls, took a couple of bad shots. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't because of him that they were able to make that run. Um, so, I mean, I'm not going to freak out about it. He didn't play much in the second half. It meant I've even played it all. In fact, uh, Marvin Williams uh, got those minutes. So between Lopez, Ilyasova, Williams, you know, even DJ Wilson played the last four minutes of the game. Uh, it was, I don't want to see Ilyasova in the playoffs. I don't think he should play a single minute in the playoffs unless it's a blowout. But, you know, this is, again, they're, they're uh, running away with this. They're, they don't need to play that many minutes. They shot it really poorly from three. I'm not going to freak out uh, about this uh for uh, a lot of different reasons uh, on the second night of a back-to-back but you know for, for Miami I think you, we talked about the three-point shooting I also actually think Kendrick Nunn who has been relatively inefficient because he doesn't get to the foul line and he takes a lot of mid-rangers he actually to me provides an important element against the Bucks because you do need somebody who can take some mid-rangers you're gonna just be forced into those against Milwaukee and he can get those uh, and get pretty clean looks he can heat up 
from that range. So I think you do need to have somewhat of that element against Milwaukee, particularly late in the clock in the half court. Um, any other notes you, you had on this? I got a couple more. Yeah, I had, I had a couple more. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo, the effort plays that he brings out, I, it, it reminds me a lot of th- that those players who were on championship teams or close to it who just have that player who just drives every other team's fan base insane because he like beats everybody to a ball or is you know out there out there trying to force a steal and the. I think there's, you know, there can, not every game, you know, there'll be games where he takes bad shots or, or forces a turnover or something like that or commits bad fouls. He had three fouls in this one, but he played two minutes. And I think there will be like at least one game in the first two rounds of the playoffs that he that he swings largely on effort plays. And he, and and that's not all he does. Like DiVincenzo is an, is an in, intriguing athlete and he can shoot. He's very confident in his jump shot. But I, like I remember that in the Raptors game too. Like he had a couple of those rebounds like through like three guys. And I think he had one or two of those tonight as well. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of these guards, DiVincenzo, 4.8 offensive rebound percentage. George Hill, 4.3. Connaughton, 5.1. Sterling Brown, even, who play, hasn't played as much, 4.5. They clearly have the license, if they're around there, to go in for some offensive rebounds. Now, I do think some of the problems that they have at times is guys like these guards are just hanging out around the rim either giving stuff up in transition when they don't get the offensive rebound or just kind of standing under the basket when Giannis is trying to do something at times, which is not ideal. Their spacing, again, was pretty rough in this one. But it is an element to look for, especially late in games. Um, the Bucks have been posting up Brook Lopez more this year, perhaps because he hasn't shot it quite as well. And I think that's just an element that they need. And Brook is an awesome post-up player and he's able to he was easily the best buck tonight on defense bam Adebayo struggled with five out of 16 and bam tried to do his uh, face up attack the basket get to the rim and brooke lopez just stymied him time after time for some really bad ugly misses lopez got out blocked a floater from i think it was jimmy butler as well but he is always a big part of these teams shooting so poorly from floater range as well against the bucks because he gets out there quicker than they expect and that standing reach is just so massive so he was really good in this one uh is a common complaint that i've had about Giannis that if he doesn't get straight to the rim he'll kind of put his back to goal try to do a spin move around the dotted line and the heat had him timed up perfectly marcus johnson had a great note on this uh, on the bucks broadcast about how he whenever he put his back to goal they would send guys in and Giannis just doesn't do a good enough job of finding shooters in those situations I think he's got to know that if he just gets to the dotted line even if he doesn't have a shot the other team is going to be so attuned to him that he just you know the pass out is most of the time going to be better than that fadeaway jumper I think there's a place for that uh but when you consider how often he turns it over in that situation as well that he should be thinking pass first in those situations when he's kind of doesn't have that straight line to the rim yeah definitely agreed there and I think there there is untapped potential it might be hard to get in to adjust in season but I do think that they can do something there something that struck me during this game Jimmy Butler took 14 shots from the field five of those were outside the paint six in the floater range and then three around the basket and Jimmy Butler you know not quite Kawhi-esque in terms of being able to get to his spot but I thought there were a few plays where he you know he worked into a position he was comfortable with and not all of those shots went in but he got his way despite Milwaukee's advantages to a you know more points than shooting possessions night. 
Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? Like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress. Where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on, but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed? And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than thirty seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house. Get that 100-night trial. They're 10 to 15-year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. Things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us all right let's talk a little houston and new york this was an extremely fun game i think we can start by talking about some of these knicks players it ended up uh with the knicks winning it in the end we can get to the progression of the game but i really liked what i saw from frank nilakina i thought he looked 
the most dynamic that I'd ever seen with the ball. And perhaps that was caused by all of Houston switching and the need for him to do more one-on-one. But he had like a really nice crossover, uh, broke the ankles of Eric Gordon and pulled up. He he looked much more comfortable shooting from mid-range, which really has been just a total loss from there. His entire career, his handle looked tighter against some of that Houston pressure as well. He had some nice passes to the roll man. And this Knicks team is just completely insane right now with their lack of shooting. It's just some of these lineups are playing as we'll get to. But, uh, and Frank, you know, he's always going to be solid defensively. I thought he did a good job there. But just to see him looking actually dynamic, like faking guys out uh, offensively. I mean, you haven't seen much of that from him. You haven't seen him with the confidence to pull up off the dribble. And I thought that was very encouraging. It was very encouraging, and he did have some some big defensive plays late. I like the. I was watching the Knicks broadcast. Didn't think that Nokina fouled Russell Westbrook on the second to last play of the game. I understand why the refs anticipated it, though. That the end of this game was super duper weird. I think we'll get into it in a little bit more depth. But yeah, Nokina. The question has hasn't been the defensive end for the most part. You know, it's kind of one of those. You know, like we know where that's going to be. It's just can he keep his head above water offensively enough to stay on the floor. It's the Chris Dunn problem and numerous other players around the league. And in this game, at least he he did enough of that. And then something you, you keyed on during the game, and it was something I thought about as well, was how the Rockets, for a couple of unusual scheme reasons, are a really good matchup for RJ Barrett because of the way he generates advantages and that actually he doesn't force help as much as other guys. Yeah, because the problem with Barrett a lot of time is He doesn't actually beat his own man. He just kind of works in a position. But then, you know, in the NBA, you've got this huge seven-footer who's going to come over and help as he tries, you know, he's kind of worked his way in a position at the block. He hasn't really beaten his man, so he can't really explode at the rim. And then that big shot blocker comes over and really bothers the shot, and he just has nowhere to go. And he's not able to blow by his guy in part because he doesn't have the great jump shot either. But against the Rockets, it was almost a blessing for him that he wasn't beating his man because, you know, they'll send help over guys like Covington and Tucker if you beat your man and they'll try to get a chest on you and contest at the rim. But he wasn't actually really activating the help. He's just kind of working in a position and then he was able to force up a shot over some of these guys with his strength and his length and make it. Uh, Now, Houston did an extremely poor job of forcing him to his right hand. Uh, Barrett also shot it better than normal uh, from three-point range. He was four out of seven, hit a few early, which is always... I'm sorry, no, that was from the foul line. He was three out of eight from three, three out of five in the first half. Ultimately, 27 points, five assists on 10 of 18 from the field, four of seven from the foul line in 30 minutes. And he did have that big shot late that iced it uh, or came close to icing it over P.J. Tucker. Uh, but it was just very interesting to see because usually the shot blocker will come over and really bother him and there's isn't enough space to get it to anyone else, but they never actually brought that guy over and they don't have a guy who can just get up the way, you know, a Clint Capella might have for them in the past to where he can kind of reach over the scrum and bother RJ's shot. So it was very interesting to see where something that's normally a weakness kind of turned into a strength for him in this game. Something that is less of a weakness for the Knicks, but but instead was a strength in this game, is their offensive rebounding. The Knicks, oh, man. The Knicks rebounded 44.6% of their misses in this game. 
and that helped create a lot of their additional opportunities. And the, that, that is one of, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, you and I talked about this a lot in terms of the Celtics, you know, the question of like, if they have to get a rebound, can they do it? And and the choice that the Rockets made, and while I think it was the correct one, there will be nights, especially, I mean, there aren't that many teams that are built like the Knicks, but they were empowering guys to go after the glass and they just have guys like Mitchell Robinson that are there anyway. The Knicks had four different players who had four or more offensive rebounds in this game the Rockets as a team had eight yeah and the Knicks had shot seven to 23 in the fourth quarter and and a big part of that was the Rockets coming back from uh, what was a 19 point deficit late in the third using a 22 to 3 run so they're seven out of 23 they're also eight out of 14 from the foul line but they had eight offensive rebounds in the fourth quarter and the Rockets had eight defensive rebounds so they offensive rebounded they missed 16 shots. They re- offense rebounded half of them. And pretty much all of their good offense came from that. They were not getting good looks in the slightest late. And part of the reason for that was, I mean, th- this lineup is just insane how little spacing they have on this team. And they're starting Alfred Payton. Dennis Smith uh, is in the concussion protocol. Not that he would help their shooting. Barrett. R.J. Barrett is the best three-point shooter in their starting lineup. R.J. Barrett. That, then they've got uh, Mo Harkless at the three, Randall at the four, and Gibson at the five. And then they closed things out. They did play Bobby Portis a little bit in the fourth. He had a, a couple of big shots. But Nilakina has been terrible from three in his career. They're bringing in Mitchell Robinson. Um, you know, they played Wayne Ellington, who had a, a big game with five out of eight in 19 minutes from three, but he wasn't out there at the end. And so they just went with a lot of size, and they barfed up a mid-ranger as they slammed into three guys and then went and got the rebound. And it was just enough to uh, have them pull out this 125-123 victory. Well, and it really was pulling out the victory considering they were ahead by 19. They were up 98-79, to 79, but then, and then it took a Houston huge, huge run to get them back in it. Yeah, Harden had a personal 12. He had a, a three-point play, two threes, and then set up another three. Covington finally got it going. Harden started 0 for 8 from three uh but he made three out of his last five he was 16 of 16 from the foul line had 35 points um Westbrook did not have nearly the type of game that he's been having recently 24 points 9 to 19 but six turnovers and you know he was really the Knicks were uh okay with giving up the three-pointer it was a 20 of 56 three-point shooting night for the Rockets but they weren't able to get a ton at the rim and they ended up shooting 50% from two, which when you consider the type of twos that they usually take, that's uh, not particularly effective. So, uh, they, and they didn't get quite as much of the fast break game going either uh, as they normally do only 10 fast break points in this one. So the Knicks were, it was, uh, crazy as it is to say, were actually like kind of a good matchup for the Rockets. Now the Knicks shot 12 out of 30 from three. That's, uh, you know, better than normal in terms of both attempts and makes for them. So uh, you're always going to have uh, some luck there. But the Rockets were 36%. It wasn't absolutely terrible for them either. Um, I- I'm a little bit concerned about James Harden's finishing. I mean, he is just blowing some just like easy lefty layups that aren't yeah, even were, like that le- well contested. There were contested. at least two that I saw during this game. And I mean, I was I was watching Milwaukee-Miami as my primary. So it's not like I was fixated on every single miss that he had. And yeah, the overall shot line bears that out. So Harden was three of six in the restricted area. And then naturally, he, those are some of the only shots he took around there. But three of six. and then But he did get to the line for, of course, that 16 to 16. Yeah, and his 
game has become more and more reliant on the three-point shot and even sometimes even when you try to take away the drive he's able to get to that step back now I mean it, it was pretty crazy the first three that he hit to start off that run he's 0 for 8 and he takes like a ridiculous step back to his left and makes it I mean he is not going to give up even when he's 0 for 8 he's going to keep shooting those um for Harden his shooting at the rim these days 66 percent at the rim you know that looks pretty good overall certainly that's pretty much in line in fact it was really last year that he had the big decline down to 60 percent and he's back up but just looking at it subjectively he's not making as many difficult finishes he's not exploding the way you would expect he just misses more than you would think he's not as comfortable driving he doesn't want to drive he wants to get to that step back and you know we've maybe it's sticking out more in my mind because we've seen teams like utah and milwaukee go to this strategy of actually forcing him to drive but they're just there's these layups that he'll shoot where it's like oh that's going in and he just misses it like it's it's really odd to see sometimes so that, that's something to keep an eye on when we get into a playoff setting and these teams are really going to force him to drive into traffic and take away the step back i was also struck just that and maybe it's just because they have these team options or or non-guarantees or just these guys like being in new york like harkless taj gibson are both from new york but there's a lot of guys on this Knicks team that if they're bought out could have helped the contender. I mean, Taj yeah. Gibson, I think, would still be a totally adequate backup center for some of these teams. Ellington could still provide some shooting. You know, he's had some health struggles this year, but he's still got it as a shooter. Uh, you know, Harkless obviously would have looked great in, say, a Mavericks uniform, for example. But I, I think a lot of guys eschewed buyouts that you would have thought. Reggie Bullock would have, would have been another one. I mean, the it's amazing to me that nobody on the Knicks got bought out considering all these pseudo one-year deals for guys who could play a role maybe more effectively than in New York where they just have all these guys who can't shoot. It's possible that some of it is a value proposition from the Knicks perspective. Remember, they're going through this front office overhaul, and maybe they think, especially with with Bullock, I think that he could, that potentially having him at you know around $4 million for next year, that, that that's at least the possibility yeah. of that is more Th- that one yes I- i'd expect him to be on the team next year i think yeah and i think alfred payton will be as well depending i mean it's le- it's less likely now with the changeover than it was before but i think there's a distinct chance especially considering the knicks aren't it doesn't look like they're prioritizing 2020 cap space as of right now because basically no one is so we could see a couple of those not everybody's going to obviously and then julius randall's fully guaranteed for next year and then has the partial yeah after. Yeah, worth noting that a lot of these guys have pretty early guarantee dates, though, right. so they won't necessarily be able to just kind of see what happens. This, this actually, we'll see how much the tampering crackdown will affect some teams like the Knicks, uh, where they have this decision to make. They, maybe they won't have a great idea of who's coming at that point. Uh, anything else on this one? I thought Eric Gordon is still make, working his way back and was looking. I thought he looked pretty good overall physically in this one. You know, still coming off the bench, played 23 minutes, but I, I'm... I think that he has an important part to play. You know, I talked about this with Dragic in, in their eventual success, and I, but I do think that he's not all the way 100% yet. Yeah, and it seems pretty clear he'll be a part of their closing group. Yeah. They, they don't really have much question about that anymore. He'll probably replace House a lot of the time. But they don't, I mean, Houston... And this gets into something you that that is going to be important. Remember, they're competing with all these teams for seeding. We don't know exactly where where all that's going to work out. They played the Knicks and Harden thirty nine minutes, Russell Westbrook thirty seven minutes, PJ Tucker thirty four minutes. It's not only about you know potential of injury and everything else. It's burning these guys out before what could be tough playoff series starting in round one. 
Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns you can customize. Things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. You talk uh, briefly about uh, Utah and Cleveland, maybe not uh, quite as much appeal as uh, as some of these other games. Uh, Cleveland only had seven players available, which uh, turned this into a, a Utah block. Good chance uh, for them to get healthy, but, you know, we, we got to watch all 30 teams. It happens. I mean, Colin Sexton, really nice game for him with 32 points, four of six from three. I definitely didn't think, and, you know, Cleveland shot it really well from three, 17 of 41, which they're largely not going to do. Kevin Love did space the floor out pretty well. But, and Utah gave up a 120 offensive rating to the Cavs. Like, that was not amazing. They won this on offense with a 134 offensive rating of their own. And, yeah, the Cavs were 17 of 41, but Utah was 20 of 41, 49%. From downtown they had struggled in some of their recent losses to shoot the ball that uh was not the case tonight uh ever pretty much everyone other than the minivan had it going from three although he, he had a couple well, in garbage time after missing his first four and and the parts that i watched it wasn't just the three-point shot Bojan bogdanovich in particular just didn't seem like he was running into any resistance really at any level of the court you know he's getting getting by his guy and then getting to the basket not really facing a lot there and that that could be a you know it, I'm sure there are teams that their eyes light up when they're facing the their players are facing the Cavs because they they know that the, if they can get by their guy they're going to be pretty clean especially with Tristan yeah. Thompson not playing. Yeah, I mean maybe every team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, especially in this case. So uh, I mean it, this isn't news to anyone. He got his option declined, but I mean Ante Zizic, woof, man. I mean they had to play him 17 minutes. That well, also meant that. Yeah, what? Okay, so to me, watching Zizic in this game was a reminder that for me, if you if you decline a player's option, you should probably just cut them. There are some narrow exceptions like Harry Giles and a few other things where maybe they have something they can prove. Yeah. Because they could have just tried somebody else in that roster spot this whole year and maybe found somebody who was going to be potentially on their team next year. Yeah, I, I mean, there's... I mean, hell, they could have waiver-claimed Christian Wood. Like. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree with you. Um. You know, or or the, you you could have just like 
tried to take Amari Spellman out of off of Minnesota's hands who doesn't want him you know that guy I mean just somebody with a chance because uh, Zizic I mean he he plays hard uh he's actually one of the few guys where who the statistical translation has really liked him coming out of Europe but he just didn't have it um and I mean every single time in pick and roll defense Gobert was getting right behind him for dunks and, and he basically wasn't able to stop the roll man or the ball and obviously it's not like Cleveland has these rangy help defenders coming in from the nail to help him out either. So it's not like he's in the greatest position to succeed in the world. But um, Kevin Porter Jr. started off really nicely. And, you know, I think he then struggled after the first quarter. But he's just, man, such a smooth score. And he's got a little bit more size and athleticism. So that to me is probably what might make him a better prospect than either Sexton or Garland at this point. Uh, Garland did not play tonight. They, they had a lot of guys out. Andre Drummond is out with a calf. Dr- Garland has a, dr- a groin. Drummond played over the weekend after missing a couple games with the calf. Put up some big stats, and now he's out again with the calf. That's never a great sign. Uh, Tristan Thompson is out with a knee contusion as well. So they were definitely very limited in the personnel available. Love was the only one who actually, uh, among the starters, who played less than 39 minutes because I think he's just you know, not going to play more than that uh, given where they're at and their eventual goal of trading him. Matthew Delvedova, another guy you just surprised didn't get bought out. Maybe he just wanted to stick around as well. There wasn't a market for him. Uh, but he played 29 minutes and he is just having such a miserable shooting season. But you also just see him. He had nine assists and it's just really surprising like he can actually get the ball to players in the spots that they want it. <laughs> like there's just no one else on this team on the perimeter who has any idea how to do that at all. And so just like the offense looks so much more competent when he's out there, even if he himself can't score at all. Uh, and, and it's not like he was unbelievable. He was negative 12, but it just, you think about how difficult it must be for a lot of these guys on Cleveland, given the fact, you know, that they have all their own problems too. these guys in the front court, but, uh, just having no passing on this team. I mean, this yeah, you know, this is one of the worst passing teams I've ever seen in the last couple of years. Yeah, them and last year's Suns were in that mix too. Can I briefly touch on something? Unless you have more on this game, briefly touch on. No, something. I I've, I'm. Uh, You're tapped out. I, I, I think I'm about to. Uh, so it, I watched a little bit of Chicago Dallas and Otto Porter returned, played 17 minutes and dropped 18 points in those 17 minutes. Seven eleven from the field, three of five for three. And this was not the fully actualized, you know, battle station that the Chicago Bulls intended to be. Zach Levine did not play in this game. Lowry Markkinen is making his way back. Uh, but he's not all the way back yet but they did have Wendell Carter they did have Otto Porter they had they had Kobe White play Kobe White came off the bench and had 19 points and closed the game and they did they did beat Dallas and so I, I thought it was it was encouraging to see some of those elements and I thought you know to me the defense looked it looked better overall. I mean, that's what happens when you have Thaddeus Young and, and Wendell Carter starting, Shaq Harrison starting. And uh, Zach Levine not playing. And Zach Levine not playing. And so it was, it, I, I would say it was a positive overall. You know, um, Dallas was missing Porzingis, though Luca Luca played, had, tw- had 23 points of his own. But yeah, I mean, it, it was still, I mean, to see a, a, po- a positive overall game from the Bulls, a, a home win, a, a narrow win was, was exciting. Yeah, I thought they really missed Porzingis in this one yes. against that Bulls trapping defense because, I mean, it's really hard to play that when you've got a guy who can pick and pop the way Porzingis can or who can even just spot up with uh, that 7-3 height and a couple spots behind the line. So in Dallas, 29% from three, but Bulls were no better at 28%. Uh, Kobe White played 32 minutes, 19 points uh, on 
8 out of 20. He didn't get to the foul line at all. He is certainly overstressed to try to be the primary creator, which he was uh, a lot of this. They actually started Denzel Valentine in this game, and he it wasn't terrible. Yeah. 17 points. Uh, he's gonna, he returned from a hamstring injury. Um, I mean, I think he is one guy on this team who could hit shots, and, and perhaps uh, he should have had a larger role. But I think just as he was starting to work into one, then he came down with uh, this hamstring issue. Um, anything else on this one? Are you uh, you ready to uh, to call it here? I'm ready to call it. Now you shall see the power of this fully armed and operational battle station. Sorry, you just uh, you reminded me of that. I'm, uh, it's one of the few imitations I do well. The the Emperor and uh, Krang. Those are my two uh, my two good imitations. It's a very specific wheelhouse, but a good wheelhouse to have. <laughs> I, I like the villains with uh, severe throat problem. <laughs> all right, we'll talk to y'all tomorrow. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.